It's the Musical Theater Book Club. Let's talk about our show. Welcome to Musical Theater Book Club, where we talk about our favorite musicals, our least favorite musicals, and everything in between. I'm Berkeley. I'm Sarah. And today we are talking about Pippin. See, even Schwartz's Pippin. So I've never seen the show. I know the music. That's about all I got. Same. Like, I've never seen it. Because, I mean, the revival was, what, 2013? So yes. I would say that was still early in our, like, musical theatery finding For life. For the most part, yeah. yeah. I mean, not, like, like brand new, <laughs> but, like... Like, I wasn't going to shows as often as I was now. <laughs> yeah, and I think that's when 2013 is sort of, I feel like when we were moving out of that, like, younger theater person mindset, where, like, we were looking at shows that weren't the big hits or, like, the big popular things. Yeah. I was trying to see if it came to even our area. It probably I did. It, I think it did. I mean, we live in one of the, like, places shows come <laughs> good good sentence good sentence <laughs> so the music and lyrics are by steven schwartz the book is by roger herson and it was directed by bob fossey fossey also did some of the book writing as well though i didn't realize he was also a book writer or he had that i mean everybody has that capability i suppose but i didn't realize he had that credit i should say pippin is probably our first one where people may not know the story i mean i didn't know it till honestly I think our Tony's episode, because you had picked the song. Like, I knew, like, the, like, that song. But I totally thought it was something else. I knew Corner of the Sky, obviously, as a tenor. I know that song. <laughs> um, and then I know, obviously, the magic to do from the Tony performance. But those those were all I ever really knew about it. A quick synopsis of the show. Heir to the throne, the young Prince Pippin is in search of the secret to true happiness and fulfillment. He seeks it in the glories of the battlefield, the temptations of the flesh, and the intrigues of political power. In the end, though, Pippin finds that happiness lies not in the extraordinary endeavors, but rather in the unextraordinary moments that happen every day. It sounds so cheesy, <laughs> but it's not. <laughs> also, I mean, I mean, we have to say... Ext- extraordinary so many times today i'm sure yeah i would imagine i'm having a hard time saying that word already (laughs) so one thing that i thought was interesting when i was researching was sort of how the show came to be (laughs) so it's actually kind of funny because i was looking at a list of cmu alumni pretty recently i think when i was watching smash because i was like oh i wonder how many of these people went there because i know a couple of them did so if you don't know, Carnegie Mellon is a huge theater school. I think that's one of their biggest programs is like theater and like computer science. But they have a huge theater program. And so I remember like super recently I had saw it like I was on there and I was like, oh, Stefan Schwartz went there. No way. So then it was funny because we were doing the research. So the show was originally started as a student musical, which was Pippin Pippin. <laughs> It took me a second to read it. Like, the first time I read it, I thought they had said Pippin and then the comma and then was referring to the show again. It wasn't until I, like, read the full paragraph. I was like, oh, it's Pippin Pippin. Okay. I hate that. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't see that. Oh, God. Or I just, like, skimmed over it because I thought what you thought. Yeah. Oh, Oh, my gosh. It wasn't until I read the second half and it said that, like, no parts of Pippin Pippin. I was like, oh, yeah, that's that's good that they did a name change. So it was performed by CMU Scotch and Soda, which I guess is like a whole, I didn't look into it too much, but I guess it's like a whole performance thing that CMU has 
where they perform like original shows. But it was collaborated with another student. But then Stefan Schwartz was like, I want to take this further. And at that point, the other student stepped out. And at this point, after the show had finished, he said that none of the lyrics, nothing from the original was brought over. None of the lyrics, none of the lines, not a note, nothing was in the final. That wasn't the original. I'd be interested to see what that first product looked like. Um, yeah, especially since he said everything was changed. So I'm like... Mm-hmm. Like, what were you doing before? And then knowing knowing what Fosse adds, which we'll talk about in a bit. I'd be interested to see what that original product, product was like. Pro- <laughs> yes, yes, words. So the story is completely fictionalized, with the exception of Pippin and Charlemagne, son and father, who are both actual people from the Middle Ages. I don't know. I should have looked into their life a little more. I didn't. I do know Charlemagne from history classes. Maybe Pippin? But I, I know we talked about Charlemagne, for sure. I like the idea, though, of taking these historical figures and sort of putting them in this fictionalized story. I think it almost adds to the cult feel of the show, which I am in love with and we'll get into later. Because uh, especially even as I was finishing up research last night, I was like, gosh, this show is so culty. I love it. <laughs> Pippin opened on Broadway in 1972, then moved to the West End in 1973. And then we had the revival that I, I would say almost rejuvenated life into Pippin in 2013. That then went on tour in 2014 and 2017. And in between that, it had a ton of like one-off performances around the U.S., and then towards after the 2013 revival, we had some internet. We had an international tour, Venezuela, Tokyo, and Japan, UK. So yeah, I would agree about the 2013 kind of being a new life for it. Mm-hmm. What I didn't realize is how many shows are going overseas and doing all the language changes because the Venezuela Venezuela production was in Spanish, and then the Japan production was in Japanese. I think it's really cool that they do a lot of those changes. And I wonder how it works out a lot of the time. I would imagine dialogue works out well, but I'd be interested about the songs. Feels like we're seeing that more now, which mm-hmm. which is great. I mean, it's cool that that's happening. There's one video. It's um, Lindsay Mendez, and she's with Seth Rudetsky. And she talks about how she did Grease over in um, Germany. But their production was weird, where they would... The dialogue would all be in German, but then the songs would be in English. So she'd be like, Ich bin eine, eine Mächen, or whatever. <laughs> and then and then start singing in English, which is so weird. I will never speak German again on this podcast. <laughs> For reference, that was an actual phrase, and I'm really proud of that. <laughs> I was like, I really hope he's actually saying actual German words, because this is going to be so offensive. Oh, no, I am. We have a listener in Ger- Ger- we do. Germany. In Germany. <laughs> From what I remember from my German, I just said, I am a girl. So (laughs) we're doing well. (laughs) One of the notable productions that I wanted to talk about was in L.A. in 2009. And they partnered with Deaf West and they used deaf actors for it. Michael Arden was the voice actor for the for Pippin in that 2009 production. And then it's cool because he later goes on to direct Deaf West's Spring Awakening. So going back to the original production, something that I thought was really cool is that they advertised for the Broadway production and it broke new ground because they advertised with a TV commercial that showed scenes from the show, which you can actually find and we'll we'll send it out on Twitter when this comes out. I mean, it's not, you know, obviously recorded very well because no. it's from like the 70s, but <laughs> I, outside of where... My parents live. They sometimes get ads for like theater. Occasionally, like big shows, I feel like will advertise. But outside of that, like 
even now still like shows like I don't remember ever really seeing shows like on TV. No, I feel like I remember seeing a wicked commercial, but they didn't use actual shots from the show. True. Yeah, that's the other thing, too. It's just kind of like here's some of the music and like the poster. Yeah. And then obviously they did it for the Hamilton Pro Shot on Disney Plus. I saw ads for that all over the place. One thing I really love about Pippin, and they, they've sort of played with this over the years, is the difference between um, how you can do the show. Like, you have the option of doing, like, a black box-style show where it's scaled down and very minimalistic, which I would say that the original production sort of was. Or you can do a full-out extravaganza, which the revival did. And I love I love shows that are able to do that. The other thing they do is, traditionally, Pippin's a one-act show. And... A lot of it has to do with, like, the single arc structure. Like, we're really only focusing on Pippin's journey. But then there's actually a two-act version that can be licensed. And then the 2013 revival also did this two-act version as well. So the other thing they did is they did record in 81. 81. They videotaped the stage production. I was originally thought about watching. I was like, oh, that'd be cool. And I was glad I read this before I, like, rented it off of YouTube. Because they actually shortened it for the adaptation. So several sections were cut. They kind of like changed some of the lyrics. A lot of which I just remember, you know, I mean, we talked about this in the Hamilton one, but people were so concerned about like language being cut for Hamilton. (laughs) So (laughs) cutting parts of a show, I'm just like, that seems like obviously, I guess it was for TV. So it makes sense that they had to do that. But but I'm like, that's cool. You know, that even now we still do not see a lot of recorded musicals. So. It's cool that they have one. Yeah, no, I, I think that's really cool, especially that it's the original production, too. I, I should say, it's not the original production. It was a production they did in Toronto, and Ben Vereen came back and performed as the leading player again, which is very cool, because he did win that Tony. Yeah, I thought about watching that, too. I didn't know they cut things from it. I would imagine to make it safe for TV, they had to, though. Because um, <laughs> there's some moments in the show where <laughs> we get kind of dirty. So the the music of the show is set in this musical theater rock style ish. It's it's very like like a light rock, and I'm into it. Um, and there are two different um, two different recordings you can listen to: the original production, and then we have the 2013 recording as well. I had listened to the 2013 recording before, but going back and listening to the original recording, it's interesting to see what time does to music. Mm, that's a weird way to phrase that. But um, going back and listening to the original, you can really hear those 70s inspired sounds. Like you you're, you sit there and you're like, no, this 100% is a piece from the 70s. Whereas you listen to the more 2013 updated version and you're like, okay, yeah, this is good music. So I have to ask, what are your favorite songs? <laughs> so in general, I bet this show, from what it sounds like and from just watching the intro song for the both Tony performances, both the original and the revival, I bet this show is awesome to see. That being said, I found the music really boring. <laughs> like, so yesterday I listened through all of it and all of a sudden I pulled my phone out to like do something. I was like, oh, I'm on the last song already. Like, I just kind of like phased out of it. But like I said, I mean, if it came around again, they revived again, I would totally go see this because I would imagine because of what the show is, I would imagine that the staging is phenomenal. Um, So my favorite, obviously, Magic To Do. That's a given. That's a song that people know mostly, even if they don't know it. And I liked No Time At All. I actually really liked. So I like those two. 
but like you said, Magic to Do. I love Magic to Do. I love Corner of the Sky. It's in my book. It's one of my favorites. The other two that I really like a lot are Simple Joys and On the Right Track. Those two have been stuck in my head. I was walking out to the garden the other day and I was like, Do you want a left hand swing, a crab on the slab in the bottom of the sea? I've been singing that all day. <laughs> and the other, I love the the little the harmonic changes they do on on the right track and it's just been those two songs have been in my mind like all week this music also gained a whole bunch of coverage as well a number of people have recorded uh corner of the sky including the jackson five and the jackson five one you can find on the original cast album and then the supremes also did a cover of i guess i'll miss the man which is on the cast album as well the original one and then michael jackson recorded a version of morning glow in 2013, Miramax had actually acquired the rights to film it after the success of Chicago. So, you know, Chicago came out and that was obviously a huge success for movie musicals. And so they were going to make this. And then I don't know what happened in those 10 years. I don't know if Miramax got dissolved or what happened, but it switched over to a company owned by people whose names we'd rather not say. I'm sure you can imagine who. And then in 2018, they went bankrupt. So the rights went back to Schwartz. And as of right now, it's up in the air. So it's just another one of those bummers where it's like, oh, we could have had a movie out of this. Like, and I bet, again, I bet they could have made this like beautifully done because of the story. But I mean, hopefully we'll get it in the future. I don't know why movie musicals take so long because I feel like most of them do end up becoming, I mean, they might not be like amazing, amazing, but I, you know, they usually do relatively well, but mm. it seems like that's a common thing. Yeah. And I got the wicked treatment. Apparently they just don't want to make Stephen Short's musicals into movies. <laughs> I'm bitter about that because I like his stuff. So <laughs> I'd be interested to be in the room with Stephen Schwartz and, Fo- and Bob Fosse because I feel like there's there was a lot of stuff that went down. And I don't know, like they sound like they're cool, but I feel like there could be some drama. But like <laughs> one of the big things in this show is what Bob Fosse did for it. He did a lot for it. He changed a lot. So I want to talk about that a little bit. One place you can really see a lot of this is in Fosse Verdon, the show that they had on FX. They talk about the effect that he had on the show, and it's mostly talked about in the episode called Glory. Just some things he added. He added the suicide idea at the end, and he also added the sexual themes into the show, which were both big parts of his life. And I thought that was interesting. Just to sort of get into, like, little details of what he did, in the song Glory, he choreographed three people which became known as the manson trio and this is where we get into my like cult ideas that i'm really into (laughs) for this show so the name refer uh the name is a reference to the cult leader charles manson and the leading player takes on the role of cult the cult leader and the two dancers are the followers um and like when you start to get that in your mind you're like oh my gosh this makes sense and i feel like staging wise you could really get the idea like the players are all a cult and now I'm just sounding crazy, Um, (laughs) but I'm really into it. As I was reading more information on this, there were a lot of people that were like, I think it makes more sense for the leading player to be a guy because of this cult aspect. And I was like, "Uh, okay. And there was somebody that was like, because in the, in the revival, obviously the leading player was a female and, um, the two dancers for this song were guys and they were like, it just didn't work for me. And I was like, you're stupid. Oh, (laughs) I love sexism. Oh gosh. (laughs) The next song that had a big change was without you. 
this could have just been a romantic song. Like you listen to it and you're like, okay, Pippin, Pippin singing a song. But instead, Bob Fosse turned it into an orgy. But as I was watching it, I really got um, vibes from the orgy from Reefer Madness. <laughs> did you see it at all? Did you watch this? No, song? but as soon as you said that, I could imagine. So there's a moment <clears throat> in Reefer Madness, the movie, when they get him to take a hit in that scene he's like up against the hookah and they like bring it up to him they do the same thing in um in without you from pippin or with you um in pippin and i was like oh i wonder if that's where they got this idea and all this kind of stuff so i'd be i'd be interested to find out that and then again the last thing he added was in the finale everyone trying to convince pippin to commit suicide the last big thing i have about fossey is his whole idea of distancing effects it's not his idea it's Bertolt breck's idea important dude in theater if you don't know who that is he has this thing called distancing effects it encourages the audience to think beyond the characters on stage and analyze the play's meaning uh so basically by the end of the show we're thinking are we happy with ordinary life and pippin's attempt at revolution and it gives the audience the chance to to think about the actual meaning of the play instead of having a complete ending you're like so am i happy with what i just uh, what I just watched, not necessarily like entertainment value wise, but story wise. And it may, it really makes you think beyond just the people on the stage. And I'm really into that kind of stuff. And I think the other show that we really get an example of this with, at least recently that I can think of off the top of my head is the gasp that Eliza does at the end of Hamilton. Cause you sit there and you're like, what is it? Yeah. I definitely wish more shows did something with like, did something like that. Cause that is kind of like a cool concept. And I feel like we talked about this kind of before, whereas like, plays kind of have more of a flexibility to do stuff like that but musicals tend to always be more of a like has to end on a happy ending sort of thing and i hate that stigma musicals do not have to end on a happy ending they do not have to (laughs) no everybody gets along and they all break into the show and they have that upbeat end number and everybody's (laughs) happy i think and i think that's part of the reason musical theater gets such a bad rap in the it's not a bad rap but like they get a bad rap in in the art community high art community i will say because it almost feels like those makeshift happy endings are there just to provide entertainment value which i mean they are but i'm here for musicals that really make you think and really make you question like those are possible you can make those happen let's make more happen (laughs) unfortunately the general public doesn't want that so you know we can only do so much so the ending also has changed in the original ending the troop tries to get Pippin to finish the perfect act by lighting himself on fire. Pippin realizes that the ordinary life is where he was happy most, and the troop leaves him on stage alone with Catherine and Theo. And then Pippin has given up his extraordinary purpose for an ordinary life, and it's a sweet sort of happy. Like that's a, that's a happy ending, yeah. And I'm I'm into that. Uh, uh, there's a line. Um, the line at the end is really big. I can't think of the line off the top of my head, but Catherine asks if he's like happy or something, and Pippin has a has a response and that's sort of where that distancing effect happens i think that's one of the things they changed in them when they recorded yes. it too because now that you're saying that oh uh, i don't know maybe it wasn't but in the broadway version pippin describes his emotions as trapped but happy but in the video they only say trapped i don't know oh. that might not be the same part no that's it that's it oh, okay yeah yeah that's it huh interesting i feel like just saying trapped you like okay we you have that conclusion but by even just changing trapped but happy that's when the audience has the chance to be like do what (laughs) what is going on 
So in the new newer versions of the show, after Pippin has chosen to live a life with Catherine, Theo is left alone on stage and sings a verse of Corner of the Sky. Then the troupe comes out as the magic to do music plays underneath them. And this all implies that the existential crisis at the heart of the play is a cycle and continues on, but with Theo as Pippin. And I kind of like that a little bit. And I think it just adds to the cult aspect of things. <laughs> Again, I'm really into the cult aspect of Pippin. I think it's really cool. I'm not in a cult, I promise. <laughs> Nor am I a leader of a cult. <laughs> so I don't know about you, but I didn't I didn't look too much into the reviews of the show at all. The main one I got is that, in general, they thought that the music wasn't related enough to the characters. However, they said the music was still good. And I think the music is really just like 70s bops, I would say. That's probably the best way to describe it. Yeah, the only review that I that I saw that I had brought out, because I was like, yeah, I agree with this, is that in Scott Miller wrote a book from Assassins to West End, and he said that Pippin is largely underappreciated musical with a great deal of substance to it that many people realize. But essentially that like there's more to it than people really see. And I was like, I, I can see that between, probably between like, cutting parts of it for the recording and then kind of like you just said with the review like the music doesn't totally kind of transfer over with the show but like it's again like it sounds like it's an amazing show so it's kind of a bummer that it doesn't like weave into that there's some shows that can exist as a cast album by itself and be really good but then they don't translate well on stage and vice versa as well some shows do really well on stage but the stuff that you don't get on the cast album just doesn't do well and I think Pippin is one of those shows where it needs to be experienced live. All theater should be experienced live, period, end of story. But I think Pippin is one of those shows that you can't listen to the cast album and get the same effect like you can with other shows. The original show was nominated uh, for 11 awards, and they only won five. Uh, they won Best Leading Actor, Best Direction, Best Choreography, Best Scenic, and Best Lighting. However, the revival um, was nominated for 10 and only won four. <laughs> which I thought was interesting, just like subtract one. Best Revival, Best Leading and Featured Actress, and then Best Direction. The Leading Player is the only role to have someone win Best Leading Actor and Best Leading Actress from. And we talked about that in our Tony episode. Yeah, uh, we talked about it a couple times. But I, yeah. yeah, I'm the same way. I was telling my roommate about it, even though he doesn't care about musical theater. I force him to listen to me talk about it. And I was saying, yeah, it's cool because, yeah, we don't we don't get that. Wasn't the Once on the Island revival... Is that was that one of them? Oh yeah, the one. Didn't Alex? What's, Alex I can't think of his last name. Yeah, isn't that normally a? I I don't know one's on yeah. this island, but. Yeah, um, he played Asaka, and uh, normally Asaka is played by a, a female. Um, and actually his his replacements or his understudies were actually female for the show. The other one that I thought of that we did recently was Hello Dolly. Oh yeah, with, yeah. With uh, Dan- Danny Larue. Yeah. Yeah, um, I thought about that one. Um, although obviously different productions he would not have been nominated for a tony because it was in the uk and all that kind of stuff but i was like oh okay so like i would love to see more of that like or you know what could happen company because the new version of company is gender bent so it could happen there too Hmm. yeah it's definitely something where it's like i want more of it but i don't want it to be shoehorned in so i decided to do a little digging for my um Ratings, (laughs) Ratings, <laughs> and I chose to rate it out of Sweet Summer Evenings. Sweet Summer Evening. Da, 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 <laughs> I just love that song so much. Simple Joys, if you didn't know that. I'm going to give it a 6 out of 10. I enjoy the show. I like the ideas behind it. I enjoy the music. But I think for it to go up, I really do need to see it live. 
as usual, I didn't think beforehand what I wanted to do. (laughs) See, I'm stuck. I'm like, it's hard because I haven't seen it, and it does sound like that's a big part of it. I'll give it a five. I liked two of the songs. I thought the music was boring. But, like, I've said this, like, 37 times at this point now, but I'm sure it's amazing on stage. So I'll give it five leading players. Hey, there we go. I almost chose leading players. <laughs> Thank you for putting that. in research so that I could just pick the easy one. <laughs> of course. Of course. So if they want to find us, where can they find us? You can email us at mtbcpodcast at gmail.com for Musical Theater Book Club. You can find us on Twitter at mtbcpodcast. We tweet out all the stuff we talked about. Um, or you can find us on TikTok or Instagram. We do fun stuff. At same Same handle mtbc podcast don't forget to rate review and subscribe send to your friends send to your family send to your enemies and uh just please don't get stuck in a cult